There are a lot of myths out there about what you need to do to be successful at work. You may already be at a point in your career where you've realized this and had to shift gears at certain points along the way. And you may still feel like you are walking a tightrope of, for instance, needing to be more decisive, but not too decisive because that can work against you as a woman or advocating for yourself, but not too much because that also has consequences. On this episode of Women Taking the Lead, I'm joined by Annalisa Kitos-Wolf to talk about the strategies and practices that will actually lead you to success in the workplace. A former nonprofit CEO and U.S. Air Force captain, Annalisa is a seasoned, certified executive coach and a CEO of Women of Color Rise, an equity-based coaching firm focused on diverse leaders. She coaches social entrepreneurs, C-suite leaders, and CEOs to build their organizations and expand their impact. Annalisa recently published The Myths of Success, A Woman of Color's Guide to Leadership, and it draws on research-based practices and stories from women leaders of color from her podcast, Women of Color Rise. The book empowers women of color to ascend to the C-suite. Annalisa also leads an online course called the Women of Color Rise Next Level Leadership Course. In this episode, Annalisa and I discuss how her own story influenced the need to debunk myths of success and the research and experience that went into the book. How strategies for success often come from those who want the best for us, but those strategies don't always translate into success at work. The notion that you will be seen, acknowledged, and rewarded by focusing on your responsibilities and working hard. How growing your influence is about developing relationships with others and again, doesn't involve a lot of hard work. And letting go of leadership stereotypes so your own strengths as a leader can emerge. If you are new to the Women Taking the Lead podcast, hello and welcome. I'm Jody Flynn, the CEO and founder of Women Taking the Lead, a leadership development company that helps leaders achieve their gender parity goals at all levels of leadership and in all divisions of an organization. We help to realize these results through consulting, coaching, leadership development programs, and keynotes. My goal is for this podcast to be a valuable resource for you and others in your organization of all genders to grow in your leadership. If we are not already connected on LinkedIn, please send me an invitation to connect. You can find me directly at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Jody Flynn, or you can search on the platform for Jody Flynn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so I should be at or near the top of the search results. And be sure to add a note to the invitation, letting me know that you're a listener of the podcast. I would love to connect with you and get to know you better. Welcome to the Women Taking the Lead podcast, Annalisa. Thanks so much, Judy. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for this conversation. But before we get into it, everyone's heard 
your professional background, you have done some amazing things and you're up to amazing things in the world. But tell us a little bit more about what you have going on in your personal life when you're not working. So a big part of my identity is being Filipina. And it's important because I used to not be proud of that. I didn't really know a lot about my background. I was born in the United States in San Diego. My parents immigrated from the Philippines. And now having been able to go back to the Philippines, live there for six months, I did a Fulbright there. And then with two young kids, bringing them to the Philippines, really wanting them to get to know their roots interviewing my parents for their stories, making sure that I try to capture those, even in video, I'm kind of nerdy like that. <laughs> um, it just, I think it's it's about integration, mm-hmm. bringing our full selves that I'm not just a writer, or I'm not just a leader or a coach. I'm also a mom, I'm Filipina, I'm a daughter. And I think this is a really powerful way, hopefully for everyone to bring their full selves to the work we do. That's amazing because from what I'm hearing you say is you combined a lot of your passions in that trip and it fulfilled a lot of pieces of of you. Absolutely. Growing up, I wanted to be a blonde named Jessica, like the Sweet Valley High Twins. I don't know if you read those books. (laughs) So I'm really happy that I am raising the kids who are half Filipino and half white to be proud about who they are and to be proud of their skin and to be proud of where they come from. So I feel like it's coming full circle about the things that I wish that I had heard and done and trying to do that early for them now. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. And you have written an amazing book, The Myths of Success, A Woman of Color's Guide to Leadership. I can make up all sorts of stories as to why you wrote this book. I can I can imagine it, but tell us from your perspective, like why this book? Why was it important for you to write? So Jody, when I was looking to have an impact on the world, it never occurred to me to be a CEO. So the fact that I have been the CEO and now run my own business is unfathomable. And I wrote this book because having been the CEO of a nonprofit and educational charter management organization, I realized that there are so many things that I just didn't know. And I didn't even know that I was believing these myths. And had I had sisters, a network, a community of people to say, hey, look, those things that you believed that got you to where you are today they're not actually going to help you to get to the next level. And if you really want to have impact, you should be a CEO. And there's so few of us out there. There's a reason for that. So that's the reason for this book. It's meant to be a guide, hopefully feeling like a sister, a woman of color network who can share stories about things that we believe that held us back and how we can accelerate our careers to be the full intentional selves of leaders, mothers, all of us in our journey. You know, and what I'm hearing and what you're saying is it's important to be intentional about who you're getting your information from, because I know in um, my career, I bought into myths that I just, it took some time, but after like one weird experience after another realized, hey, this isn't true. And I can see how one of the myths came from my parents. 
you know, well-intentioned, right? They're trying to set you up for success, but they're sharing their view of the world. However, it didn't translate into the office environment. So, you know, the, the myth for me was just keep your head down, work hard, and you'll be appreciated and you'll be rewarded. And I found that over time, again and again, that proved not to be true, but in their worldview, that was true. So it's important that we get information from people who've done what we want to do, right? Who've, who've been there rather than people who aren't really sure. Exactly. You know, and they just, they just, they look, they may love you. They may want the best for you, but they may not be setting you up for success in the areas that you want to dive into and explore. Exactly. The people who love us sometimes might not guide us in the direction that really helps us to unleash our full potential. Yeah. So I'm so glad you wrote this book. So tell me about what went into it. Like, what kind of research did you do? Um, to get, you know, hone it down to those specific myths that ended up in the book? So this whole project started after I stepped down from the CEO role. And I also have a podcast where I interview women of color and what they did to rise to their top seats. So those stories, thankfully, over the past couple of years have provided a ton of fodder about what does it really take? What were the things that we believe that weren't true? What do we wish we had known? And those culminated into these 10 myths. So it's both research and practices that are best practices based on research. But I think what makes it most helpful is that it's got stories of real people from different ethnicities and cultures and races who are sharing their personal journey and what advice they would give others. And so the 10 myths, each of them have a myth, the research, the stories, and then practical strategies to implement. I love that. And so you can see by letting go of this myth and taking on a new thought pattern, you actually hear the story of someone who then went on to find success, whereas before believing the myth, it was holding them back. So Mm -hmm. I... I love that. Brings it full circle. So let's dive into some of the content. Um, Let's talk about a few of the myths that are in your book. I'd love to talk about all 10, but like (laughs) we're living in time and they're all in the book. So everyone can find all 10 in the books. But let's let's hone in on three that you think would be really important for the women listening to this podcast to hear about. So I'm going to start with the first myth in the book, and that is this idea that the workplace is a meritocracy. I'm not sure if you fell into this, Jody, but I certainly did. That when I was a kid, my parents had immigrated. They said to me, work hard, put your head down. So much <laughs> what you said earlier. And as long as you do good work, you are going to be successful. It's all about doing good work. And it's fair because the American dream, which is the reason we moved here, is about rewarding good work. So just Mm -hmm. do good work, Annalisa. Focus on doing the best you can and doing what's on your job description. That is the way you're going to get ahead. And that is our also American dream. So I absolutely Mm -hmm. believe this myth. And the reality is that 
yes, it helped with getting good grades when you have things written on the syllabus and you follow the rules and you turn assignments in on time and you raise your hand when you're called to answer questions and all of that is by the book. You get your A's, maybe you graduate as valedictorian, but in the workplace, especially as you advance from mid-career to senior, that is not the playbook that will work. And so it is a myth that the workplace is a meritocracy. You need to operate by different rules. Yes. And that's an important distinction because teachers are trained specifically not to leave any children behind, right? The whole leave no child behind program. Teachers have to focus and pay attention and look at how each child is doing and grade their work. Managers are not, you know, to some extent, Overall, they're told you're accountable for this group, you, you know, you need to meet with them. But ultimately, their performance as a manager isn't measured against how you are doing as an individual. It's how the team is doing as a whole. So oftentimes, you know, and, and I've heard stories of people who are like, my manager keeps canceling my one-to-one -one meeting. And they just say, oh, you're doing great. We don't need to meet. And so their manager doesn't think about them that much and they're not getting support and feedback and, you know, a development um, plan, all of that stuff. And so we assume, I think the thing is, there is this assumption that our managers are going to be like our teachers in, in high school or middle school or elementary school or grammar school, um, that they're going to be like the teachers we had growing up, but they, they're not, they're not trained that way. Exactly, Jody. I want to build on your point because we think that our managers will take care of us, just like our teachers. As long as I do a good job, they'll give me those A's. They'll say, oh, wow, Jody is such a great worker. I, I want to put her up for promotion. All these good things will happen. But the reality is that managers aren't always great. They often don't really focus on our own careers. And the job of having our own growth is ours. So we need to, in the workplace, have a strategic plan about how we're going to grow. And yes, we should do good work. Yes, mm -hmm. we should. At the same time, we need to make sure we're doing the right work and the right people know us and that we are speaking up. And all of these things are not what has gotten to these great grades or valedictorian it really is a different way of operating that means we have to change how we've been and 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 I think act as if you know we are people who are counter to society because speaking up as a woman as a woman of color that's not really like something that people prize it's that double bind where mm -hmm. you need to be a good girl, which means taking care of others. But if you want to get promoted, you need to take care of yourself. And so what is, how do you manage that double mind as someone, as a caregiver and also someone who is out, like we do care about ourselves. So what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Especially if our own, in our own households as girls, we were rewarded for just getting the work done, helping mom, helping dad, not complaining, not bragging, right? Just being of service to those around you. And then, you know, you get that like, oh, your mom's helper. Thank you so much. You're so great. You're so, you know, and you also get 
from other adults, you get acknowledged for you're so well behaved, meaning you're quiet and you do what you're told. And, you know, now we flip to the workplace where even if the manager is a pretty good manager, but they're really busy, they're not staying on top of everything that you're doing. So I love how you talked about having a strategic plan. Like, how are you like thinking intentionally about, you know, if you want to rise through the ranks or take on more responsibility or be doing different types of work, you have to advocate for yourself and intentionally put yourself in positions where you're getting training and you're getting experience, which is so different from just show up and do what you're told and you'll be fine. Exactly. You need to have a plan. You need to do the things that maybe feel uncomfortable, like raising your hand, like saying to your boss, if you're my boss, I would say, Jody. I want this type of role. I want exposure. And here's all the good things I'm doing. It feels really uncomfortable because that's not what we learned as children, as students. But you have to do it if you really want to make sure people know that you're doing good work and that the work is meaningful to the company. So all of that has to be strategic. And I know myself as as having been a manager um, in an organization in the past, I was so grateful if somebody came to me and said, here are my career aspirations and here's the opportunities that I'm looking for. And maybe they asked, is there anything I should be doing or focusing on that would get me there? I think I had that experience maybe once, maybe twice. And more often than not, it was, it was a man who was saying that, you know, and I was like, oh, but then in retrospect, I'm realizing, well, I told him, but I didn't tell my other um, employees because I, you know, there's just this assumption of like, well, maybe they're just kind of like going with the flow. And so it's so important to tell your manager what your goals are so that they can help you and support you. Um, but also take some onus of letting being clear about what it is that you're looking for and maybe how, you know, asking them or telling them how they can help you. The directive of here's what I want to be doing and here's the types of projects that I want to have and here's a timeline I'm hoping to operate in and what does it take to get promoted This is the conversation. These are multiple conversations that we need to have. Otherwise, they think, which might be an assumption that's not fair, but they're happy. Jodi's happy where she Mm -hmm. is. There's she doesn't want to get promoted. She just wants to continue doing her work. There's no need to push because she's she's good. And that's not a fair assumption. So you have to change the rules by saying, actually, I do want to grow. Yeah. It's so funny as human beings, we make that assumption all the time. Like if people aren't complaining, it means they're happy, you know, or if they're not asking for something different, they're fine. When we know in ourselves, there's a lot of things that we wish would change or be different that we're not talking about, you know, to the people who could help us because we're like, oh, I just, I just don't want to make a fuss or I don't want to make a big deal. But but we make that assumption of others. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. Mental fitness is your capacity to respond to life's challenges with a positive, 
rather than a negative mindset. What diminishes your mental fitness is internal saboteurs. Saboteurs are the voices in your head that generate negative emotions in the way you handle life's everyday challenges. They represent automated patterns in your mind for how to think, feel, and respond. They cause all of your stress, anxiety, self-doubt, frustration, restlessness, and unhappiness. There are 10 different saboteurs, but not everyone is impacted by the same ones. There's a combination of two to four saboteurs that are likely more familiar to you. Are you curious to know which saboteurs are impacting your performance, wellness, and relationships, and how they do so? To take the saboteur assessment, go to positiveintelligence.com forward slash saboteurs. You can also find the link in the episode description right in your podcast app. It's hyperlinked, so you can click right on it. You can also reach out to me afterwards for an insight session if you'd like to dive deeper into your results. So again, to take the saboteur assessment, go to positiveintelligence.com forward slash saboteurs and find out exactly what you need to do to overcome your saboteurs. So Annalisa, tell, give us an, give us another good myth that, that one definitely relate to what else do you have for us? So another myth that we discuss in the book is about networking. I don't know about you, but many people that I coach, many, many people in my community, they're not like, yay, networking. I love networking. I can't wait to get out there and contact people I don't know and ask for time <laughs> and get out to happy hours, after Have hours. awkward networking. conversations with strangers. Who oh. doesn't love that? <laughs> Who doesn't love that? <laughs> but here's the thing, Jody, that if we want to grow, we have to know that our influence is not about just ourselves. It's about developing relationships with others. And that needs to be, again, strategic. We need to go beyond our manager, even our team. We need to go even across, yes, with peers, but particularly looking for mentors and most importantly, for sponsors. Mm -hmm. And this strategic way of networking isn't just internal to our company. It needs to be external. We need to be thoughtful about who we're reaching out to in our industry with people that we know or don't know. And developing these relationships often isn't natural, right? You're not going to run into someone on the street and have this bonding conversation. <laughs> you have to be thoughtful about who, how, when. And often as people who are relationship oriented, we can make it the myth is it's fake, it's exhausting, it's going to be a ton mm -hmm. of work, but actually we can make it authentic. We can yeah. make it work with our strengths. We can build real relationships that are meaningful to ourselves and also our careers. And so the myth is focus on relationships is part of the job, make it part of your job, integrate it, build your personal board of directors and by doing that, it not only helps your work because now you can actually accelerate your impact and get things moving, but it helps your career because you never know when things will change, when you want to look for another role, or maybe you're let go. So it's a way of safeguarding any of those unplanned news. 
Right. And you know, what's so interesting to me is I, I have done presentations um, for women on networking where women have related to networking as this masculine, used car salesman, sleazy type of interaction conversation where you have to be kind of like, hey, and, you know, and that feels gross. But the point that I always tried to convey is networking is building relationships and building relationships is feminine, right? It, it is definitely a feminine quality. It is a strength of women to meet new people, get to know them. I mean, anyone who is, um, especially moms, right? You're meeting all sorts of new people when your children are entering school ages and playing sports and getting involved in activities. You get them their doctor's appointments, their dentist appointments. You are, you are coordinating their schedules and all this this sort of stuff, but you're also getting to know other moms to find out what are you doing? What is your opinion? That sort of thing. It's so natural for women to network. Once we let go of that myth that you outlined that like, it's unnatural, it's hard, it's sleazy. And part of my presentation was also helping them identify what type of networking suits your personality and your strengths. So for instance, like people who are introverted probably would enjoy networking that involves some sort of um, learning experience where it's structured, you know, it's not that open happy hour networking, you end up talking, randomly talking to people, but it's more structured. Whereas if somebody is extroverted, you know, they may enjoy a little bit of that. I'm going to meet a lot of people. I'm going to get into a lot of conversations. So what I'm hearing, what you're saying too, is like letting go of the notions that like networking is this one certain way. It can look different for everybody. Absolutely. I have a few coaching clients who hate, they said, I don't want to do that. I don't want anything to do with this thing called networking. Please give me other options that don't, uh, don't have this fake gross way of Mm -hmm. interacting. And as we orient to your relationship builder, you do that naturally. Let's actually work with your strengths. You are on LinkedIn often. How can you leverage that? Or you have soccer groups with your with your fellow moms. How can we leverage that? Or even on the commute to work, how can we leverage that? Maybe it's a quick call or a text or what are you doing for lunch? Oh, you're working through lunch. <laughs> you know, yeah. how can we switch that as well? And so it's not about packing more into an already very busy life. It's about being strategic and mindful to work in the ways that you naturally work, figure out the people that will most benefit you who are diverse, right? People mm-hmm. who are like you, people who are different from you, and then to do it strategically in a way that can work with your schedule. That's the key. I like how you injected like um, almost these little micro networking moments, just sending a text, a quick phone call, a note. Sometimes I even just send a note to somebody saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. How's it going? Then there are people in my life who we do a Zoom call once a quarter, right? 
just to intentionally stay in touch with each other. And in these calls, like there's so much exchange of information because over the course of three months, it's like, what books are you reading? What are you into? What's been new at work? Like what ideas are you kicking around? What do you, and we always like have a moment where like, we don't bring it up like this, but we talk about our challenges. Like what are we kind of grappling with right now? And I always find that the person I'm talking to has an idea or a resource, or I've done that here, let me send you this, that sort of thing. And so keep, you know, it doesn't have to be time consuming, like messing up your entire schedule, putting your values at risk. Like these could be like, what shall we call them? Like these like micro bites, like little, little snack uh, of networking to just keep those acquaintances. I think the um, term is those, those loose ties in our network, like alive and thriving, because this is where we get ideas that are outside of our, our inner circle. Absolutely. And that includes our personal interactions and also our online interactions. And so we can be very holistic about this network, this thing called networking, which is really just maintaining connections. Mm -hmm. Yes. And meeting new people too, just you know, a, f- a few here and there, right? It, it, it doesn't have to be hard or overwhelming. All right, Annalisa, give us another one. So the third myth I wanted to share is about leadership. If you were like me growing up, when you thought about a general in the military or a priest or the CEO of a company, you probably have a picture in your head of what that looks like. And for me, and most people, it's a white male. Mm -hmm. And as women, as women of color, striving to have an impact, we don't have to. The myth is, this is the type of leader, and this is the way they lead. So therefore, if we want to lead, we need to lead a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so that's the myth. The reality is, we actually can lead as we are. And Yes, there are double binds, like having to care for others, but also care for ourselves, you know, be warm and demanding. So there's these double binds to manage. Yes, yes. But also we can be relationship oriented. We can be collaborative. We can be listeners. In fact, research shows that a lot of these what we call feminine qualities are incredibly powerful and transformative for organizations. So this natural way of leading authentically is really powerful. And we should embrace that instead of saying, oh, shoot, Jody, I've got to be somebody else. I've got to look like somebody else. I don't belong here. Actually, as you are is a beautiful thing. And so we can be authentic. And, you know, um, more and more the stories that I hear and what I'm reading is that people are craving a different type of leader, whether it's male or female, like, but just somebody who is true to themselves, who is honest, who is open and transparent, you know, so as women embracing that, like, no, there are certain types of stereotypical leadership that don't align with how we even interact with people, that knowing that we can be ourselves, and that is a leader too, that we are also leaders as well. I think this this can be a hard one for a lot of people to embrace and think about because we there aren't a lot of role models out there of women and women of color like exemplifying that diverse leadership style and how it works. Absolutely. I mean, 
two of the stories I'm thinking based on what you shared in the book are about women of color who are introverts. And they're just like, I don't want to be the person, the spokesperson. Charismatic. Yeah, all eyes on me. Everyone's got to have some like funny, this amazing story. The person before me who is white male was that way. They're going to walk into a room. It's like magnets. They're all looking and they just deliver this beautiful, funny, humble speech. They're like, that's not me. How am I going to lead? And what they realize is it is not our job to show up and be like them, like another type of leader. If we can come in and we can be introverted, we can share and have our small moments. We can give a speech and do it in a way that's authentic to us. So we can shed this extra weight of like, oh, you're not that person. Oh, you're not imposter syndrome. And actually say, I release that. I'm going to step into me. And sometimes, yes, I'll have to push myself and do things that are uncomfortable. But actually at the core, there's a reason why I got this job and I can be that way. And I don't have to be all things to all people. I can be authentic. Right. You know, and it's important to make the distinction between the discomfort that occurs when we're stretching, you know, and we're growing, right? Growth requires stretching. Stretching is uncomfortable. It's not the same as, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, betraying your values, right? Or trying to be somebody who you absolutely are not. So I I don't want to get away from that. Like it just because you're being yourself as leader doesn't mean it's not going to be a little uncomfortable too, because you're growing, you're learning, there are new situations and challenges that you haven't experienced before, but it doesn't have to be this situation where you have to show up and be somebody you're not. And in fact, I, I had a conversation with one of my clients um, some time ago where she has aspirations to be the CEO and she's reporting to the current CEO right now. And he is middle-aged, white male, charismatic, does the rah-rah, you know, when they do company town halls. And she's like, I'm not that. And I can't be that because she is introverted. She has a quieter leadership style. And what I asked her was, well, does your company need that? And she's like, actually, no, a lot of people are unhappy because they don't feel listened to. And I'm like, and you're a great listener. So if you were to take on the CEO role, I would think you would be stepping into exactly what your company needs. And people can get charisma other places. They don't always have to get it from the CEO. It's beautiful because look, we're the CEO, but we have a team. And so how can we build a team around us to support our strengths so that we can together move the company forward? That is a great point. And Elise, I want to underscore that. Like when you sit in those higher seats of leadership, I think a lot of people look at it and go, go, it's going to be so lonely there. There'll be so much on my shoulders. But the reality is if you do it well and you build out your team well and you have the right people around you, you, you're really, you're on another team, right? Sharing the burden and the responsibility of everything. And Jody, not only do we have the team we built, but we also, if we would network, We have the relationships Mm -hmm. outside to say, 
okay, there's something confidential happening in my organization, but Jody, can we talk about how I'm facing and ask for advice or any similar experiences? And so that's even more important that we build our network so that we are not so insular and we have support and we don't feel alone. Oh, I love how you brought that together. So Annalisa, give us a quick overview of some of the other seven myths, because I I have a feeling people are like, oof, I need to dive into this book. What else is in there? So I'll just give a few more myths. One is that we should be humble, right? But the reality is we need to toot our horn. We need to be careful, though, that we're not so blatant about it because there is a backlash against women. And so how do you go about it respectfully, but also being able to share your accomplishments. So we talk about that. Uh, another one is that we shouldn't ask for what we want, right? Jody, if you ask for a promotion or a salary increase, often we think well, that's really greedy. They're going to think that I think that I'm better than them. We have to be careful though. There is a backlash sometimes when we ask for things. So how do we make sure we advocate and for ourselves at the same time, trying to maintain culture. So there's these double binds you have to manage. Another one is about our personal lives. This idea, okay, well, we want it all. Women want it all. And there's these articles, you'll remember from the Atlantic that said, women can't have it all. You can't Mm -hmm. have it all. But the reality is, while we can't have all of the things, right? I can't be a marathon runner and a CEO and be a stay-at-home mom. That's actually impossible. Mm -hmm. Probably. (laughs) At the same time, though, we can have our all. And so Mm. what does that look like to define that? Where are different models for us, examples for us to be able to learn from? And I think the last one I'll share is the last myth that is about DEI. And I know that it is diversity, equity, inclusion. There's a lot of backlash against it. But how do we keep it moving forward? Because Mm -hmm. really diversity, equity, inclusion is about how to bring everyone's talents, ours, yours, everybody's to show up and be authentic and give our gifts to an organization, to society. And so how do we move DEI forward in a way that's not putting the burden on women of color, on women, on diverse people? How can others be allies? And so rather than say it's dead, DEI is dead, and there is nothing, you know, they're going to put the, the onus on a couple people. How do we all do this and how do we bring allies in? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that's going on out there. And I have a guest coming on next week who talks about how there has been a tremendous backlash against DEI, but that's when it hasn't been done well. DEI done well makes everyone feel a part of the process and everybody benefits from the changes that are making. And Annalisa, I love how your book addresses those double binds, right? Because we're hearing more and more about that as women. And it can be so frustrating to hear like, you need to speak up, but not too much. And you need to do this, but then hold back. And like, how do we navigate through that? Because it sounds like um, trying to walk a tight rope, right? But it sounds like in your book, you make that tightrope thicker and manageable and something that we can we can navigate without falling, in, you know, one or the other, either not doing enough or or going over to the point where there's a backlash. 
Absolutely. I think the key here is yes, there's research and yes, there are quote unquote best practices, but it's those stories. Jody, tell me about the time you did navigate it where you did have backlash mm-hmm. or what did you do to prevent that? How did you walk the tightrope so that, look, when we get into positions of power, we can make it better for others around us. So that's why we want to continue to rise so that we don't have to navigate this. But in the meantime, how do we do this? And then how can we share with others? Amazing. Annalisa, where can everyone find you? Well, you can find me on AnnalisaWolf.com, A-N-A-L-I-Z-A, Wolf, W-O-L-F.com. You can also find my book on Amazon. You can also hit me up on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Yes. And for those of you listening, I'll have the links to all of the different places that you can find Annalisa in the podcast description and on the show notes page. And Annalisa, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We're all better for having met you. Thank you, Jody. And for those listening, grab her book. It is going to change your leadership. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Taking the Lead podcast. I have three small favors to ask of you. If you are not yet subscribed to the podcast, hit the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out on the upcoming episodes. Do you know anyone else who could benefit from this episode? Please share it with them or share with them an episode that you've heard of this podcast that you know they would get a lot out of. And if you are looking for leadership development opportunities for yourself, your team, or your organization, reach out to me. We can customize a program that meets your specific needs. You can reach me at jody at womentakingthelead.com. And as always, I hope this was of value to you and here's to your success.